Welcome to episode 16 of Something Inventive. It's never finished. Al and I discuss when a website is ready to go live. And I look at some great tools and articles to help improve your marketing and search optimization. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's. A, I think it's the difference between trying to make it feel like a conversation and then doing it as a professional recording, like it's it's almost going out on the news or something like that. Like it is a show, and I think there's differences. And I think a pod, you know, it, it, it's up to us what feeling we want from that. I know. So maybe something to discuss because I'm hoping to get um, uh, the guy Carl Madden, who is someone I met up with in London. Um, well, I met him in London. And I'm hopefully going to meet meet up with him again uh, when I go up for this podcast festival in September. And he he runs a, like a, uh, it's not like a Mac podcast. It is a Mac podcast. So he runs that. And it'd be interesting to see how he does it because he's got little, he's got outro music, which I think he plays as part of it. He's got little jingles and things. You know, he's got three people regularly. Tell me what happens at a podcast festival. Uh, it's basically people who are famous on podcasts will come and do a live, probably a live recording of their podcast. Okay. So you can go and see oh. them. And so someone like um, Adam Buxton, yeah, he, he does his own podcast um, yeah. and he is there, although he sold out annoyingly, but um, he would be there. So, so he, what, oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. He'd do a special podcast show, basically, in front of you. And it's oh. actually quite cheap, like £9 or something. Uh, okay, so it's kind of like the new kind of being in the audience at a TV show. Yes, yeah. yeah, so you can go along and if you've got a favourite podcaster there, you can go and meet them or just be part of it and yeah. you know, if, if you like it. And I, I'm going there because I want to, you know, I have a podcast. I, I'm not presenting or anything. <laughs> One so day. Is, it a whole day? is it a whole day of different podcasts? It's, it's like from Wednesday till Sunday. So they've got... So they've yeah, got like literally every hour there's different slots. I, no, different I think podcasts. there's a lot in the evening, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then they're starting to do them during the day on Saturday and Sunday. That's a really interesting idea, isn't it? Yeah, so um, I'm going up to see my brother, Seb. I'm going to check out his HTC Vive, um, which he's got, which is a 3D, um, the fully immersive 3D headset. Mm-hmm. So it's connected to his beast of a computer. It's got sensors so you can move around. So you can actually walk in the 3D space. You can physically move as well as moving your avatar. Um, so I'm going to check that out and hopefully meet up with this Carl Madden guy. Mm. Interesting. Quite interesting. Mm. So what... Um, so I had that interviews. I, so I had the interview with Louise Jenner. Went really well. Um, I love Louise. She's great to talk to. She is the dream job coach. Um, I don't know. Did I mention her before? I must have mentioned her before. Certainly, have talked to uh, Louise about her, our copywriter. Um, but I went to interview her to find out more about how she does her, how she works with clients, how how she came to doing, do what she's doing. Um, so that that will be posted in a couple of weeks once Stonehall's finished editing it. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, she's definitely an interesting character. I met her at a Laptop Friday, which is... You remember Jonathan Pollenjal? He came yeah. on, uh, we interviewed him, or he came on, was part of our podcast um, a couple of months back now. And um, so he's working with Louise on um, Laptop Friday and also... Um, Oh, what is it? His workshops. He does LinkedIn workshops, so he's working with her on those. Um, so I highly recommend you checking those out. But Laptop Friday is an interesting concept. 
Um, it, it's networking under the guise of going to work with other people, like a co-working um, space yeah. that you'd, you'd work on, uh, you'd do on a Friday. Mm. Um, he's got a couple now. Uh, I know there's one, the one I've been to is in Cheltenham. There's another one started up in Gloucester recently. They did try one in Stroud. I'm not sure if that's still going. And I think there's one in Cardiff where Jonathan lives. So it's a little, it's a thing now. It's actually like a little brand. Um, I, yeah. I, I certainly went to a few and it's nice. I didn't go in, I didn't go there with any pretense of working. Um, yeah. But it was nice to meet people. And in fact, didn't we have one of our um, very early catch-up meetings at one of them? Well, yes, I didn't realise what it was at the time. But yes, that's what it is. <laughs> that's what it is, yes. Yeah. That was many years ago, wasn't it? We, when, um, when we were yeah, having... Quite re- a long time. Mm. It was. And we were having our regular meetings. That's when we had Dan working with us. Um, we have our, had regular meetings every month where we discuss what, what's been going on and try and improve something about the business. Um, and one of them was at Laptop Friday, which was quite yeah. quite fun. I'm, I'm going to start up a, a, a competition one called um, iPad Tuesdays. See if it gets the same sort of level of user uh, user acceptance. I doubt it. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, you can start it down down in Bradford on Avon. See how well it goes. <laughs> iPad Tuesdays. Do you, you never know? Do you have any co-working spaces down in BOA? It's mm, a good question. We have some like offices that people have got, and they've got like spare desks in them. So yes, but they're on. A, it's a very small scale, mm. and it's not maybe as flexible as your average co-working space. So you would r- literally hire it for the month. Oh right. It's not like these sort of desk share spaces, which I think are better and a bit more flexible. Mm. So you'd like be there all the time in a small room with people, <laughs> the same people, I guess. Um, I'm not sure if you can sublet, <laughs> but um, uh, so in a word, no. But I think. As ever is everywhere, I think there's going to be, there's a few places that have been sold recently. There's not many offices here, but the ones that are, are could lend themselves quite well to being a co-working space. There's one, there's a nice, really big unit for sale in town, which is great. If I had, if I had half a million, I would buy it and turn it into a flexible working space. That, that's what crowdfunding's yeah. for, Al. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I, did. <laughs> I had this idea about crowdworking, um, crowdworking spaces. Um like these co-working spaces years and years and years ago when I was in Hereford and there was um there was the big mill that was for sale and I was like why don't you buy that but actually carve it up into little offices mm. for different people but obviously I was you know had no ability to pull that pull that off ahead of your and time now I think it actually is that was that Gwynn Street mill that um Astute Graphics oh yeah that one yes that was all done up into um offices and um, yeah. residential yeah yeah but, but I had I had the idea Years and years before this was popular, as you know. But I think it's it, it's it's ever more popular now, um, and probably more accessible. Uh, I know that we had a podvert last episode from the Stroud Cluster in Stroud. Um, a couple of nice guys there, uh, Mark and Adam, and and they started off. They both worked from home, and they got a bit bored of that because I, I, I often go out and visit people, so I get to meet other people. Um, but, you know, like you, Al, I mean, you, you work mainly from home and that might suit you quite well. But for them, they were getting a bit frustrated that they weren't getting to see any, anyone else. So they wanted to try and work together. But they thought, well, can we bring a few other people in on that? Um, so they started leasing a very small office space in Stroud and it's grown from there. Now they've got um, like the top floor of a warehouse um, mm. in Chalford, just outside of Stroud. And um, yeah, it's, it, you know, they're, they're taking over some other space um, uh, hoping to look and do some meeting spaces. Hope I'm not speaking out of turn. I know that they were looking at doing that like this month, and I I want to get in there and do some um, events with them. But um, 
yeah, I think it's something that that is it, it's a nicer approach that to just renting one office and that's your office and you know mm. only use it because uh, if that were me, then most of the time it wouldn't be used. Yeah, the, of course, it depends on your nature of the work. If you, for me, I need some big screens, mm. and that's what really holds me back. I can't do a laptop Friday unless I'm just doing emails. I just need massive screens and I need the setup and um yeah I can't be fully productive out of that environment so I suppose for me yes hiring actually going in an office where my stuff is and my mm. kit's all set up actually is probably is better for me on that note but, how is your yeah. how is your garden office um it's still there and uh it's <laughs> it's it's coming along it's not ready yet it's only been um nine months so you know give it give it time um but um, I've got an arbitrary deadline of the end of the month to mm. be kind of in there. But uh, it's watertight and it's warm, Excellent. even though I've got no heating in it. Um, well, it is. I, I, it is still summer. Okay, thank you. Yes, um, <laughs> you wait till the the, <laughs> the fingers of winter creep in there and uh, no, and chill it, it. It's like a space pod in there. It's like <laughs> it's it's totally like insulated from the outside world mostly. Um, and I've got some really cool LED lights in there. They go round the perimeter, so they're not in the ceiling. They're actually oh, really? about eye level, going all the way round. No, are they strips the or um... yeah, just like one strip LED light, like a different colour changing one. <laughs> and if you go in there and you turn it onto like red, sort of purple colour, it's like being in a set of Tron. It's great. Does that <laughs> I help? Really recommend it. Does that help with working? Probably not. Mm -hmm. But it feels a little modern and spacey. But from the outside, it looks like a sort of orangery. So it's a real mix of of different <laughs> different eras in one thing um but uh yeah it's going to be ready soon yeah and i'm going to do a youtube video on how to build a garden office using the methods that i've used uh, have you so you've been taking videos you've gone along i've only i thought of that no wait, yes i have yes yes i've been taking video the entire time otherwise you'll have to knock it down and, <laughs> and restart yeah, I have to start again. yes i have it's going to be about half an hour yeah so you yeah, but you, um, often people might separate them up into multiple parts, um, mm. um, which mean, which allows people to skip to a certain part. If you're discussing like um, putting on the roof or doing the walls insulation, you can split them up into those sort of sections, which I've seen before. And that works yeah, quite well. That's a, that's a good question. Not, not just for me, but for other people doing videos. Is that a good approach to have part one and part two and part three? Yeah. I was wondering about that. Yeah, it seems to work quite well. Um, it, it also, if people see half an hour, then you get the fear that you're going to get stuck into a video, which is, you, that might be boring. Whereas if, mm. if you can shorten it down and maybe make it um, five minutes and you're talking about a specific subject, I think that it makes it easier to get people into the video. Um, right. Say they're looking for help and advice on insulation for a shed. Well, they don't want to watch a half hour video to try and find that. So they probably won't watch your video. Whereas if you were to split it down into multiple parts, there's more chance they'll watch that one um, section. You get it. You know, I assume you're going to put advertising on that so that you're going to get the pennies that come through from that and that they may want to watch other videos because it's then very easy to let it continue and watch the additional videos on from that. I'm so, going to need that. I'm relying on it for my retirement. So yeah. I'm going to need to, to really think think through how to make the maximum amount of, of revenue. Yes. Yeah, I'd have a look at that. I, mean, I think... I think people may have done it originally to get more advertising because you could have a pre-roll video at the beginning of each one. But now mm. um, Google does seem to split videos up and pause them and then we'll play an advert in the middle. Okay. So, do you think five minutes is a good... If I, do, I'll just say that again because the drilling outside just stopped. Do you think five minutes is a good length of time for a video? Do you think that's, that's about right for people's attention? 
Um, do you think they could go to eight minutes, or is there a golden number? Do you think? I would make it as short as possible, but no shorter. <laughs> um, I think there is there is um there's the rule of trying to keep it um well the ones I know of but they may cha- they cha- do change um is to really establish the point of the video within the first three to five seconds so to wow. make sure that people know what you're talking about so if you're talking about the ins- um, doing the installation of a shed then you really want to be showing that in the first couple of seconds so people understand mm. uh, or put a caption on if you can't do that. Um, but don't show a company logo or don't, you know, don't put, um, it's not going to apply for you, but a lot of companies will put a company logo out there for eight seconds. It's like, you've just wasted it. You've got, you've lost Lost a lot of people. Mm. Um, so there's that one. And then I think there's a general rule to keep it under a minute, but I think you've got like 30 seconds for like the first tranche of people that might go and then under a minute. And then over that, I think people will stay if it's used, if it's valuable to them. So I think if you if it's the right content and people are interested enough, I don't think they'll be scared away by looking at a video about shed install- installation or uh, making a concrete floor of a, a shed. They'll expect it to be quite long because it's a bit involved. Mm, so I think yeah. I think three to five minutes is probably okay. Okay. Eight minutes. I, I mean, I would keep it as short as you can get away with, and it's still comprehensible without being too tightly edited. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I'll but have to see what I've got, and then uh, I'd break it up. Just yeah, tr- try and mm-hmm. try and put it into chapters, really, and then you can put them as a playlist together, um, and then they're sort of linked together, and they should naturally follow on from one to the next. The next. Yeah, a little bit of work there for me. Mm-hmm. That'd be good. Good. Uh, a good experiment. Practice. Yeah, definitely. Because what happens? Yeah, I think it would because we've got nothing like that from a rather inventive point of view where we can experiment with that yet. Um, we'll start doing some uh, tutorials and things in the future, but at the moment we don't have anything. Yeah. Great. Excellent. Mm. So yeah, the interview with Louise will be uh, available as soon as we've edited this episode, so maybe a week or two afterwards. Um, I highly recommend listening to it. It's really, uh, really interesting. On um, from Louise there. Um, so I'm just going to go straight into the sponsor, and then we've got a few topics and lots of um, apps and useful things for people. So we'll skip straight into those. <laughs> Now, this is a book written by myself and Helen Caldercutt, and it's full of easy-to-use social media tips and strategy to get you noticed by the right people and for the right reasons. Now, you can buy it for your iPhone, iPad, or Mac for $9.99 just by going to the iBook store and searching for Be Sociable Ben. But if you want a free copy, you can just visit ratherinventive.com, scroll to the bottom. I haven't done an anchor tag for that yet, Al. Um, scroll to the bottom and sign up to our newsletter at the bottom of the page and you'll get the book sent you straight away by email so you can get that completely for free so as I said Helen and I wrote the book Helen is a social media trainer based in Worcester and we were doing a lot of workshops together so in the process of developing these workshops we were looking through lots of websites videos books how-tos tips and discussion all around social media but we found a lot of them were were not very concise and uh, easy to read and some were pretty awful to be honest so we came up with the idea of pulling together our favorite tips into one book and so some of the tips are like getting a recognizable profile name talking to twitter as a person or stalking your customers on linkedin but there's lots more and as i said if you want a free copy just go to ratherinventive.com scroll to the bottom and um, sign up there and you'll get the book straight away if you want to find it online just search for be sociable ben Um, Or you can visit our 
website and click on the social book in the menu and you can go and buy it from there. Right, okay, so on to our topics. We've got one big topic, then a couple of other little ones. The first topic is, when is my site ready for launch? I'm going to hand it straight over to you, Al. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, it's something that comes up, well, with every project that we do. You have to launch it at some point. Um, and let's just begin at the beginning. Um, you may be either developing a completely new site. So it's a whole new idea, a whole new business, a whole new domain. Um, uh, so there's that approach. Or you might be replacing a, a site that you've already got, upgrading it, changing it, making it better um, from your original site. So I guess, that, I guess those are the two real approaches that people come from. Um, and I think there are slightly different rules about when to launch mm. the site, depending on those two factors. Um, so let's just explain a bit about the problem. Uh, and that is, it is very difficult to know once you've been developing the site over time, you've added on all the things maybe from the brief. The brief it's going to have changed from the brief. It always does, doesn't it, Ben? <laughs> you yeah. never build exactly what we, what everyone said we were going to build because at the beginning of a project, I've said this before, um, is at the time when everyone knows least about it. And, but yet you seem to make all the decisions about it. So it, it, you have to be pragmatic and say, we're probably going to be changing this, but it's it's a rough plan of what, where we're going to be going with things. <laughs> so um, it's not always clear that you've reached the kind of the end of the development. Um, and so things can get delayed with launching the site and, and, and no one really knows if it's ready or not. Um, and so it, it's not always obvious when you reach the end of the development process for the site, like you don't get a little magic email saying that the, e <laughs> the site's now ready. It's really a decision um, that uh, as the site owner you have to make mm. and also the developers have to make. And as we approach the end of a project, it's just a feeling you get that it's kind of nearly ready. Um, but it, the, the thing that's really important to understand is it's never going to be really finished. You're, the website is not going to be finished unless you're making something very self-contained that is never going to change um, and that's your site then yes you could say yes it's done and that's it I never have to go back to it um, but more likely than not it's it's going to be a living breathing thing yeah shall I just stop for a minute while they're doing that they really haven't got much to do how dare they this should they should be doing it um, there's no actual no better time really because they assume everyone else is out working they forget people work from home nowadays i know i've got, had all times of day people on the roof at 8 8 a.m cutting tiles with a watching you know a circular saw you know that sort of stuff oh. do you think at some point there'll be penalties for this and they'll um for penalties i'll go over and no no no, no for, from a sound pollution <laughs> point of view because you you can get um you know if you've got builders working on a house the thing is, most people work away from their home, so it's not an issue. I mm. work here next to my house, so when there's people doing yeah. up the house, it doesn't bother me that that much. It's just some sometimes when they're playing music a bit too loud, <laughs> it can be irritating because you've got distracting things going on. Yeah, I wonder if that's it's a, it's an interesting question. They've stopped now. I might just carry on. Okay. Um, where was I? Um, so yeah, the the site is going to be an evolving and living and uh, breathing thing really mm. uh, and so in a sense you're never it's never going to be completely ready 
to go live but it takes a bit of bravery uh, I think to decide and um, a bit of a plan as well as to what to do after it's live yeah so it's not sort of left dangling but I always think it's a bit um, I always want to give it an analogy a bit of an analogy of sort of teaching your kid to ride a bike so you've been sort of <laughs> doing all the background work <laughs> pushing and holding and, and, and training and then at some point you have to just have that bravery to, to let go mm. and the site then becomes live and it's its own thing and it needs to not stand on its own two feet because that doesn't make sense in a cycling analogy but that <laughs> you get what i'm saying <laughs> um and yes it's going to teeter and totter a little bit to begin with mm. and there's always a weird thing that i've seen no matter how many times you check the site over before it goes live when it's actually live it takes on a, a strange new persona and you'll notice things that you didn't notice before yeah. Because you know that other people are now seeing it. And it's a really weird mental state. And you, it's almost hard to emulate before you actually put it live. You, you get this, if there's something wrong, you, you get this panic that other people are seeing that it's wrong and they're frustrated and they can't do something. And there's maybe a, a, a typo um, that no one ever saw before. And you'll suddenly see it when it's live, but only when it's live because you had this, that focus and that, and that importance on it that kind of just wasn't there before. And it's, as I say, really hard to emulate that. Um, so that's an interesting phenomenon, which, which I've yeah, experienced quite I know often. what you mean. Yeah, it's almost like a, a switch has been flipped and you're in a different mm. mode now. You're not in development mode. You're in full. And it's not even that we don't, we do test sites, but you're in a completely different mode. Once it's live, you, you're, you're then really um, targeting and honing down on specific things, because, which, which you didn't see before, exactly as you said. And, and not so much for us even, the client didn't see them all. Mm, yeah. Um, so what's really good during a site build early on is to have a deadline, like mm. a hard deadline, an immovable deadline in some ways, uh, not an unrealistic one. So not like next week, <laughs> um, but a, a date in the future that's a realistic date that everyone can work to. And it's really just a case of we're going to do everything we can do that we need to do before that date. And it has to go live then. Yeah. And in some ways that's, that's really, really useful because that's going to be the driver in terms of when it goes live and that's the decision made it takes it out of you out of your hands really the other side of it is is if for some reason it doesn't really need to be updated like the, the site there's it's kind of open-ended there is no kind of hard deadline and maybe there's a current site there already which is okay you know not amazing but it's okay um and so the client maybe isn't that yeah the client wants it to be perfect before it goes live um and then it then is when you start to get project creep Yes. things you end up doing things maybe two or three times even in the background in the shadows so to speak before it's even been seen by anyone you're already changing it and we've i know i've had that quite a few times in all the sites i've made um you think well, hang on i'm making all these changes so no one's even ever seen the other bits <laughs> when we had it yeah. originally uh, and you think this is not right these things can happen when it's live you, uh, it's very important to get you know in into that into your headset i guess that sorry I'll say that again. It's very important to get into your mindset that it's it's perfectly acceptable to put something up and then change it. With a mm. website, you can do that. With a brochure, you, you can't do that unless you have the little bit of A4 paper in the back saying, you know, erratum, <laughs> then all the bits that were wrong with it. Um, you don't have but, that. But actually, you, no, you, you can with print. You just do it in a different way. So you can't change the print once it's been made. But what you can do is have shorter runs. And let's say we will do um, 50 
it's going to cost a bit more or it's not as efficient to do that. But let's do 50. Let's put those out. And then we'll see once it's been done, we'll, we'll get reaction from a few key people. And then we'll do the thousand or t- 10,000 and then send those out to everyone else. So you can do small, smaller groups and small print runs, especially nowadays with digital print. Mm. You can go yes, from one, one up to 10,000. So yeah. I think you can, you can do something similar. Yes, you're right. I mean, when I was involved in print, it was very much like 10,000 is going to cost yeah. you about the same as 1,000. Yeah. So, it was, yeah, it's negligible. Um, yes, you're quite right. But obviously online, you can change stuff pretty quickly. And um, assuming you've got, you know, a CMS system, very, very quick to change. Mm. And there probably aren't that many people looking at it right then anyway, especially no, if it's a new site. That's the so, thing. Yes, it's better to be there. It's, and, but I'll come back to that in a moment. Um, but also getting to this uh, mindset of the site, is going to be a little bit fragile to begin with and it needs to grow and change and develop again I come back to this sort of child mentality so it is it is just like bringing up a, a child I think it's you've got to nurture it develop it help it or help them I should say um, help them with their social networks <laughs> <laughs> and also gain respect amongst their uh, contemporaries and then um, at a point you get bored of it you can just pay for a new one <laughs> no that's where you lose the analogy <laughs> yeah exactly yes i put that on there as a little joke um no 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 because you, you have a new one and you let your other one grow and, and go and live its own life and then you you get a new one <laughs> or, or replace it yeah <laughs> when you're too irritated with it <laughs> just going back to deadlines i mean you were saying this yes. um was uh, often with most projects there is a deadline um, sometimes mm. they're artificial and we just, you know, they are made. They just say, oh, I'd mm. like it done for this date. Sometimes it's more realistic, like um, say it's a, some sort of sales website and it would be good to get the site up and running well in advance. So you've got some run time to Christmas or whenever you think your main um, sales time is. So so they're often quite good. Or you, you have some promotion or a show or something you're, you're going to yeah. where there is another event. But it's, yeah. it is the worst when, when there is no real deadline. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when when a website is not live, we get the most project creep when it is not live mm. because yes. there is a, a very definite feeling. And it's not even to do with payment. You know, we split our payments over 10 months for a project. So the project could be finished within two months, two to three months, let's say. It's not even as if there's a final payment that I have to pay when it goes live. And so it's really critical. They want to make sure everything's in there. That's just not how we we work. But there is still this mental block or a mental connection that when the website's live, that's it. And we try and remove that as much as possible. There is no that's it. Um, there is, uh, to a certain extent, the bulk of the programming should be done. We don't want the design necessarily to radically change in terms of it might affect the cost if it's going to do so. But it, mm. but for swapping pages and shifting things around, that, that's not done. And that's fine. And that is anticipated to be mm, a part of the project. Yes, but, exactly. But it's very important it goes live because if it's not live, you'll almost experiment with things uh, and ideas, uh, but no one's seeing them. And Exactly. I've you want to do that it. live. <laughs> It's a bit like, um, you know, publishing, uh, sorry, not publishing, I'll say that again. It's a bit like creating a, a sequel to a film where no one's seen the original. <laughs> so why, yeah, like, you know, why, why not? Why not show them the original? Yeah, the director was so excited it? about it that they created a whole new film um, before they'd finished editing the other one. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So from a point of view of stopping, stopping it, that, um, 
project creeping and costing both the client and the developer more money, mm-hmm. having a, a fast deadline where you say, this is when it's live, whether you finish the project at that time or not is another matter, mm-hmm. but the website is live, makes a huge, huge difference to narrowing that down and really simplifying yeah. it. I mean, if it's a new site and it's a whole new thing, there really isn't any damage in putting it live um, when it's not completely ready. I mean, yes, you're not going to have hordes of people visiting it straight away, hopefully. But um, if you were to do some advertising for it, it's still always a great idea to do what we call like a soft launch, mm. where it goes live. These little problems that you find and discover um, can get fixed, behind, not behind the scenes, but with less people seeing it. Then you've got the confidence to do you know, an advertising campaign for it or, or whatever you're doing. And yes, then the visitors start arriving. That's really the right way to approach it. I mean, I know we've had things previously where you kind of put the site live and then the next day the client sent out an email to everyone saying, hey, this new site's live. That really isn't a great approach. It's I have just I... cause it just causes really unnecessary stress uh, uh, and puts your reputation on the line for really no reason. Your, your clients weren't expecting it, presumably. I, I do have a, an issue with that as well. I mean, the, the, mm. do, do clients care that you've got a new website? <laughs> uh, unless it's going to benefit them, mm. like you've made the process easier. But then that's what you've talked about. It's like now now you can um, you can buy that product um, that you buy every month five times faster. You know, that is mm. the selling point for that. But most people don't yeah. care. They'll go there. And as long as it's not too drastic and that you need to take them through a whole tutorial on how to use the website, they go, oh, okay. They change something um, they probably yeah. won't notice. Um, yeah. And if they're regular users to the site, they're going to notice that it's changed anyway. Yeah. And you, you might in, into your new site, you may want to add a little bit on there saying what's changed and what's updated, what you can do now that you couldn't before, you know, how you're listening to your customers needs and what you've done to the site to address those. Um, so yeah, yes, you're right. It's all very well saying, wow, we've got this amazing new site, but you're like, really? I you know, use it twice a year. Mm. You know, I don't really care. Yeah. Um, like what do you do? <laughs> but what they can do, yeah, what what they can do with it may yeah may save them time definitely. So. Yeah, certainly if it's an app, I think um, mm. if you have some sort of application, I'm always quite excited when an application I'm using has updates because um, especially if they make using the application easier, quicker, or some job I'm doing more efficient. I, yes, that is interesting to me. Um, but with a just gen- general information site, it's you know it's not not a huge deal. And talking of that, um, what do you think on new sites when the first uh, news item is we've got a new website? <laughs> no point. <laughs> yeah, that is the sort of thing people do. What, what uh, we'd rather news, do but... is just not is just hide the news items. So just basically, you write the news items in the back end in the in the admin system, but don't show the news pages unless you need to. Like, but if it's a new site, you won't have any news. Mm. So yeah. so you. you Allowing the client to write some news over a period of months, maybe, and then bring in the news page online, um, or if they've got time to write those news pages in advance. Um, obviously, with a with an existing site, you've got the news pages, you can you can transfer them over. So, yeah, I don't see yeah. the point in that at all. Yeah, and also being live and not having news on there again creates um, an urgency in your mind that you need to do it and work yeah. on it. And when it's not live, you don't have it. You just don't have that pressure because it's hidden. But as soon as it's like in the public domain uh, as a website, you start to get this niggling feeling that you need to work on it. And so that can also help really, you know, get content for you to knuckle down and get content done, news articles, uh, get those photos done that we didn't have time for during the development, that kind of thing. 
So yeah, it can be really, really good. Um, I just—I uh, don't know if you're going to bring this up, Al, but um, mm. your, what are your thoughts on um, taking down the existing site with a holding page telling you there's a new site um, coming? Ah, now I don't like that. <laughs> we used, people used to do that, and I still see it now. Yeah, I do. Um, really, do you need to do that? Probably not, unless your site is massively like, either infected with malware or um, really, really didn't work. Um, or was false in some way or actually doesn't reflect with the business that you're trading in, there's really no reason to take it down. You might be bored of it and fed up with it, frustrated with it. For me, it might be the first time I've ever had dealings with your company and what do I get? A holding page. And I have had that recently. I've, I, you know, I'm trying to buy something from somewhere, go on the site, we're having a new site made, come back in two weeks or something. Well, why? Well, you've lost me, sorry. Even if you'd shown me the old site, that would have been better than nothing. And that isn't, yes, I have made a note of that. Kind of better than, there's better than nothing approach. Yes, yeah, yes, definitely. And I, I think um, we had it with um, with a client recently. We were looking at their competitors and one of their competitors' sites said, well, it's down, we're having a new site created. And I, well, that's no good for my research. But from their point of view, I could be, I could be a client looking at it. Well, I, I don't care they're getting a new site. I just want the information now. You know, mm. give me the old inf- and th- unless it's wrong, totally wrong. But then, yes, yeah. change it. <laughs> Don't. Yeah, there are these. It's not necessary. Yeah, I think and the way people think about sites needs to change. That they are big monolithic events, and they shouldn't be. Yes, you have a new website done. Carry that on in the background, but still update your current one. Don't stop. Update it, and if there's anything that's wrong, you tweak and change it. Yes, it takes effort, but you really want that process to be quite trans. Um, invisible, not transparent, but in, invisible. Yeah. You don't want the client to have mm. to think about whether you're getting a new website made and you're inconveniencing them by removing the information. That's not helpful. Mm. Yeah, so I'm definitely a, a, you know advocate of if it's better than what was there before, then also you should put it live. Mm. So if you've got if you do have a current site um, that yes isn't very good, I mean that's presumably why you're getting a new site made anyway, um, and and your new site is streets ahead of what you're current site is then again put it live if it's better than what's there now that's fine it might not be perfect or totally complete for reasons we've talked about um it's still better than what's there now so put it live and um work on it when it's live Mm. Um, you'll find everyone's a bit more focused when it's live (laughs) get things done a bit quicker um because it's more important um it's obviously important to take a backup of the existing site some way like via ftp or via you know an online kind of um, site sucker backup site sucker which we use. Um, take a copy of things. Don't just abandon completely. You know, delete the hosting the next day off the old site. Might be useful to revert back in the unlikely case of a real problem with the new site. Um, Sometimes I've used. Um, I've wanted to see the alt site when. Um, when pages haven't been redirected over correctly, and you want yeah. to refer back to the previous one just to see because often people will completely abandon it and, and maybe a page was working really well and you say i want to see what was on that page archive.org doesn't have it um because mm. they don't have everything and so you really want to see well what was on that page that was good that people like let's make sure it's on a new one and they don't have a copy of it you've only got a small window to i, I use google cache like google search cache for mm. that so i'll do a google search for something look at the cached version but you've only got a small window until Google doesn't have that anymore, but I've, that saved us a few times. Well, not me, but clients, mm. um, where they've deleted something or, as you say, something's been replaced and they can't find it. Uh, yeah, a couple of times, yeah, it can be very useful. Um, but we don't want to get too much into the sort of site um, 
the actual process, I suppose. But um, it's just, uh, yeah, this idea of, is it better than what's there now? Is it going to offend anyone? Is it incorrect? Yeah. Um, uh, in app development you get, uh, and insight development too, you get this uh, thing called an M MVP, which is like the minimal, minimal viable product, which is what is the kind of minimum um, arms and legs? You, no, that's not the right thing. <laughs> Uh, what are you creating here, Al? A spider? Not, like an online octopus. <laughs> but that doesn't really have arms. It just has legs, I think. Um, sorry, I'll say that again. Um, oh, completely forgotten what I was going to say. Minimum viable product. Oh, yeah. So the uh, M MVP, uh, or minimal viable product, which is really the, the minimal components you can have uh, on a website or an app. So it works and it's coherent. Mm. And then, yes, you can develop those parts of the site going forward. Um and so that approach again with with a new site is yeah what are the minimum parts that people want expect to see contact page about us page like maybe the news maybe not some product information to be able to buy something or at least to email uh, you know request for a quote this kind of thing and then develop it add to it if it's still better than what's there now then it's a win then yep. it's better and it's an advantage and it will advantage you to put that live um, but as you say when we don't have a deadline and there is no reason really hard and fast reason to put it live that is it becomes problem yes for the client because they're not really seeing any um i hate the term roi but yeah return on investment there isn't any until the site goes live um and also the developers likely to become a little bit not bored with it but they also want to see it live they've been working on it that's what it's been it's like building a ship and then it just sits in the dock uh, and they still continue to refit it yeah. every year and they're repainting and no one's it never been on yeah. it mm. yeah it's like that um, yeah, it is like building or building a bridge and repainting and repainting and no one actually can use the bridge. So it's all a little bit pointless. So yeah, it's, it's a bit demoralizing for the with, developers and they'll show less and less interest in making it better because no one's even seeing it. So With the MVP um, mm. that you're talking about, the minimum viable, viable product. It's really hard to say. <laughs> MVP is much easier, isn't it? It is. But there is also something wrapped in with that or it's a different concept where you are looking to um, produce a um, a usable product every period, like two weeks. And so you mm. could attach that once you've got the, the, the rough gist of the site and you know what the design's like and you've got any sort of core programming done, there's no reason why you couldn't look to update and release the site every two weeks or week, whatever your timescale is, and say, with the client you're working with, look, we're, we're going to review the first few sections of the homepage about and contact or whatever the MVP is. Then every two weeks after that, we're going to focus on different sections. So next, we're going to focus on the services and get those live. And then we're going to focus on the blog and get that live. And But each step of the way, rather than taking, let's say, three months to develop the entire thing, and over that three months, you've had a dead site or you've had to create a holding page, basically, which is like just a HTML document you've slammed up there for those three months saying, hey, you know, we've got we're, we've got a new website coming, um, which, again, you know, even on a holding page where you have nothing to begin with, I don't think you need to say new website coming. You just make the smallest website you can, which is one page, company name, what you do, contact details. That's it. You don't need to tell anyone there's anything coming. Um, and then you just release really maybe after the first month where everything's tightened up you start releasing new pages and you release as we go we haven't quite got to that stage yet but i think it could be quite nice it's just a bit of client education really to get to be able to do that and i think it depends on your web agency as mm. well in, in respect of whether once that that site's done for you they're just going to move on 
that's it they're not going to deal with you again well i don't think that's a great approach and it's not an approach we take you know we're, we're quite honest in the fact that we think sites should evolve and change and update um and i think for smaller companies who aren't able to invest in um a massive amount of user research before the site goes live i think it's important to sort of garner um real customers feedback mm. as time goes on and, and, and react to that but uh, also one thing i would stress is um and again I, we've had this and I, i've had it various times is when the site goes live it's a bit of a panicky time because it's a new thing and you want it to work really well and you may get a, uh, an email from a client or someone in the business even just saying oh i think it should this should be like this and there's a sudden flurry of quite big changes based on one person's opinion uh, and i think it's really important to just stand fast uh, uh, and take these things on board and just see if, what the trends are uh, and not to jump too far left or right based on maybe just one person's opinion yeah um who's just taking the time to email you yes really important to listen to that but but judge it uh, 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 and don't necessarily think you have to do it or they're going to not be a customer anymore they're giving yeah. you your, their input which is really valuable and i, I, I do it with, with with websites too i'll email and just say oh, this is this doesn't really work for me i hope it should be like this i very rarely hear back Although I very rarely see any change, which is frustrating, because I like to think I make sensible uh, suggestions. I even get into arguments sometimes with, I've got an argument with a big website saying, you really need to do this. And they're like, no, I'm not going to do this. No. You're like, yes, you really do. So um, uh, it's, it is important to listen and, and to sort of make a list of things, but not sorry to be really flitty and, and do all of them. I think you have well, to do them. There are other things often with. Um your suggestion, it, it comes from your point of view and you might have very good, constructive and valid reasons for that improving it for, for you and you believe other people. But with that inside knowledge, hopefully they're a good company and they collect this information all the time. It might be they say, yeah, for you, actually that's good. And maybe the small percentage of other people or even quite large percentage, but where we're going, that's going to become less and less relevant. But you don't know that information, so it's going to be difficult. Or they might just be, yeah, 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 whatever. Whatever you say, we're just going to say thank you and then ignore it, mm. which is, is equally um, not so good. Yeah, or just ignore it completely, which is actually worse, because now I feel a little bit detached from that company. If they just emailed back and said, thanks a lot, we've just sent it to someone, that's all I need. I'm like, yeah. wow, good, thank you. Like, Tepelo, I've emailed. They've got a massive usability error with their website. Did they do anything? No. They're like, we don't need to do that. You really do. You really do need to do that. Like, <laughs> they're a state agency and you think, why well, no one really thought of this? It's just been missed off. Yeah. Uh, so they're not even grateful sometimes. And then I'm like, well, do you know what? I'm never going to, I'm never going to give you my money. Puts the sour because... taste in your mouth. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm changing electricity company recently. And, um, uh, and all electricity companies do this, which is so frustrating, is that they don't show you their online control panel. Mm. They don't give you a taste of what it looks like or how it works. And that is really what you're buying from them. I can't see the electricity. I can't see yes. the gas. I can smell it, but I can't see it. Um, what am I really buying from you? I, I'm, I'm buying from you. The online tools that you keep saying are brilliant. Show them to me. No no site does that. No site just says, but, log in here with demo demo and you'll see sort of things, the sort of stats you might want yeah, to see. Yeah, I mean, and actually that's that's not terribly tricky to do, really. Um, no. But you are more technical, so I can I can, I can appreciate that. I, I would be the same, actually, for a lot of things. Like if I'm signing up, let me see the control panel because then I'll know from that whether that's going to be useful to me um, mm. if, if the cost is right. So, mm. yeah, I totally understand. 
just so that's an example, I guess, of something of once it's out there and you've launched the site of a cust- you know, a really legitimate customer request that shouldn't be ignored, maybe. So do you think do you think um, it's worth seeking feedback on that from from the customers using it? Because I've seen that on some sites where you'll get some message popping up. Uh, sometimes they obscure the whole window, which is I wrong. hate those things. Uh, just never, never, ever do that. And anything, there's no, just don't obscure content. There's no, you know, people are there oh, to read it. Yeah. If you obscure it, that's wrong. Um, but seeking um, feedback from them somehow, which doesn't. I hate those things, and I think they're called four C on the big sites. You yeah. know, the big players. They must love the data, and someone in their analytics department going, "Yeah, we need more data." What you're doing is is it's really annoying. Just people. pissing people just off, just looking for something, mm. and then you're saying, "Oh, how do we do on you finding something?" Well, I've only gone on the homepage. I haven't found it yet. Yeah. And it's an, an absolute major annoyance. And I think I filled it out before saying, well, here's a review. Um, stop asking me about reviews. You know, <laughs> That's what I feel. But I haven't actually had a chance yeah, to do Actually, it yet, the so. site would have been great had I not had this pop-up yeah. in there. So do you think, is there a point, uh, you know, it, it's, it, we want this user feedback. How do we seek mm. the user feedback? I, I think not in such a... a an, I call it aggressive because it's a little bit like fishing for compliments, isn't it? When they yeah. pop up these things, saying, "Oh, how good are we?" Oh, yeah. yeah, and you're like, "Well, go away." <laughs> but um, certainly, asking um, for feedback is really good. And and again, as long as you get back to people, that becomes that becomes a relationship, doesn't it? And yeah. people are more likely to recommend you and, and remember you. Um, I, I think something like a little banner, maybe on the. And when I say banner, I don't mean like a big flashing thing at the top. Just something somewhere, maybe saying, you "No, know, we'd love, we don't want to improve. Just tell us." And make it really easy for people to tell you if they want to. Like, so it's it's discreet, yeah. but it's it's visible if they were interested in the site. Then they exactly. can see it and they'll click on it. Mm. Maybe a little bar, a little bar at the top, at the bottom, just slightly out of the way. Um, yeah, maybe maybe we could start trialing that on if a client were worth um, not. We could start trialing that if a client was interested. We could put some sort of yeah. banner at the top and and just just see if that had some weight to it. No, I certainly think it's not a bad yeah. idea. And I really think not asking them their name age and shoe size yeah you don't need that you're only getting that for some other purpose yeah. just you don't need that really just ask them what it is uh, maybe their email address so you can get back to them that's important and just what it is you don't need to ask them their phone number i mean, no one's going to fill that out um and also just provide an email address some people just prefer to contact people via email so mm. i think that too did you have anything else on the list um let me just check um please hold caller <laughs> No, that was pretty much it. There is there is something that came up um, earlier or reminded me of this earlier. Um, when we're talking about releasing sites bit by bit, maybe developing pages in the background or, or actually more, more in, in something that's slightly more tricky, releasing elements within a page over t- over time. So you might develop the homepage, then, then you want to redevelop the homepage, but then launch bits of it. There's some... There's something you've done within Visual Composer which allows people to work on certain elements, but they're only visible to the admin and not to the public. Do you want to explain that a little bit? That's true. It isn't really refined um, and it's not brilliantly executed, but the idea is that you're able to kind of write notes. So if you log into WordPress, um, the, the website knows you're logged in and therefore it can show you messages that you might have added in um little notes to self or notes to um third parties like photographers or mm. web designers to say oh we need to put this bit here uh, move this bit over here uh and sure anyone who's logged into the site as an admin can see those notes but anyone else visiting the site cannot see those notes yeah 
So it's quite handy in the short term after going live. I must stress the way we've done it, it's not perfect because you, the notes are still there in the HTML. Yeah, so hidden by CSS. It's, it's for experimental content. Yeah. So it's, the content still has to be valid to some degree, but it might be you go, I'm not sure about that image. Let's just hide that panel and say it's under development, which means you'll only see it in the admin section. There is actually a way, though, in Visual Composer, which is the plugin we use a lot of the time for laying uh, pages out, there is a way to hide rows in Visual Composer. I don't know if it's new, but I've noticed it more recently. Um, you can actually select a row and, and basically hide it from view, which means Based you're... Based on the user yeah. um, level. Yeah. Um, no, no, it's just oh. hide it from view publicly. So so when you're administering the page, oh, you can I'm see gonna... the content, but it's dimmed right. slightly, but okay. it never renders it out to the public. Right. Well, that's 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 what something we would... So that's brilliant. Uh, so I, yeah. I used that recently for a client where they had a... Um, they had a link to a form to get to seek user feedback um, or a link through to this debate. I can't remember which, but they basically, that wasn't running. So we would then um, disable that section because mm. it was going to come back in a couple of months time. So mm. rather than me deleting it and having to save yeah. the code and add it back in again, we just disa disabled it and we'll bring it back in later. And you could Thanks. do exactly that when you're developing a home, the home page. You could develop all the content on there in Visual Composer, but just hide the elements you're not quite ready yet. Maybe the copywriter needs to go over it or you're seeking um, rights for a particular image and then you can release them. But those aren't shown at all. They're not rendered out, so, so they're not even on the public page. Mm. Excellent. Um, okay, brilliant. So um, before we launch into everything else, I'm going to run a quick podvert for at Donalize. And uh, he tweeted us, need groundbreaking film or animation? Try httpdonalize.com. Um, now, Donalize, I must uh, put my hands up here. Donalize, or Donal, is actually the editor of this podcast. But uh, obviously in listening, he finally got around to doing his own um, podvert. But I highly recommend going and having a look at Donal's site. Um, he's done a lot of animation, really, and um, video work. Um, anything, you know, a lot of After Effects stuff where you are creating quite interesting animation content. I know lots of cool stuff actually, but he, he does a video editing as well. So definitely check out his site and have a look what's there. So he is at Donalize on Twitter or donalize.com online. So just a couple of things to finish off because I think we're gonna run over, so I won't be too long on these. Um, these are some links that I've come across quite recently actually. Um, the first one is Swipe Worthy, it's called, and that's at Swiped dot co swiped dot co s w i p e d dot co and it's it's pretty cool it's basically a database of ads and content that has worked well for copywriters and marketing people and ad ad people types um so what they've done is they they will show you their different advertisements and show you which sections worked well they like draw little boxes around sections and describe how that works what it's useful for and so on and it's very good. And if nothing else, I think it can be quite useful if you are just stuck for inspiration. If you need to create a landing page or write some copy or just develop any type of um, marketing, have a look at this first. And it gives you a broad idea about the sort of things you could feature, how the headline should be worded, maybe where you'd place the image, what the image is for, what type of image you might use, um, how you might write the content, what call to action or... Um, encouragement to click on something or fill out uh, their email you need at the bottom have a look through those first and then you can use it to create your own idea and so i thought it's uh, quite a nice uh, website actually so that's called swipe worthy swipe.co 
The next one on the list is um, an article on moz.com about local landing pages. Now, with website content out, we always try and avoid getting people to have too much or any duplicate content, really. Mm. Um, not because it's damaging, but it, it might... If you have duplicate content, Google will likely pick what it thinks is the um, uh, canonical or the um, the source of that information, and it will hide the rest. It just won't show them. Um, so really, you don't want to have duplicate content because otherwise a lot of pages on your website could be hidden and won't be seen, and, and that's not really useful. So local landing pages can be the same. And maybe let me explain what a local landing page is. Let's say you're a company who wants to rank well for a particular local area. Well, that's fine if you uh, only work in that area and you're based in that area. So therefore, a lot of the content could be, um, let's say, Hereford-based or Worcester-based, wherever you are. So you'd put that on the contact page, you mention Worcester. Maybe in the homepage, you can mention Worcester. And that's fine. But let's say you're a company like a builder and you can work in lots of different areas. Maybe you go up to London, you're happy to work there. You're happy to work in Sirencester or Worcester or Hereford. So there's lots of different places you work in and you have lots of clients in those areas. How do you manage that? So what it, what it was explaining is that really there's lots of information you can put on there that will enable you to have these separate pages which are targeted towards a specific area, but also are reasonably unique. So just to give you an idea here, you could have uh, an overview at the top, which is talking about the sort of services you provide, which would be generic among all your local pages. But you can bring in some, um, you tailor it to the local area by putting in specific areas local to that area. So in Hereford, I'm try trying to think of some names of towns like you've got Bromyard, um, Ockle Pitchards, maybe specific areas within there. Um, you could have video photos or testimonials from specific clients who are in Hereford. So you can make sure they're in there too and you don't list others. So that allows you to get very um, unique content. And you can also put a Q&A from local jobs. So if there are specific questions that people have asked you, uh, maybe they're the clients you featured or other clients, you can actually list a little Q&A in there as well. Um, you've also got a map of the local area and so on. Um, it goes on to explain a lot more. It's definitely worth reading. I won't read out the link here. It's too long. But if you have a look at the show notes, it'll be in it. Um, and so from this, if you're that builder, you could have a Worcester building page. You could have a Hereford building page, a Simon Sister building page, a London building page, and try and develop those as unique content pages. And then maybe they all link off the contact page or offer areas we serve page. I wonder what the tipping point is between duplicate content and individual you know unique content yeah because a lot of sites have a lot of the same content on don't they yeah very similar <laughs> bit at the top bit at the bottom that's all the same um but by default um but i wonder how you get that perfect uh balance between not having to write too much individual content but also not like you say having not all your pages indexed yeah it must be quite a fine art there's there's another article i read which is similar um, I might try and post that too. And they talk around having, oh, let's see, if it, no more than 20 pages or 15 pages. Because really, if you're trying to optimize for that many pages, then you might well be big enough that you don't really need that so much. Um, so there's lots of other ways to get that content. Uh, and also, it might be seen as Google as just a bit too much. 
But what mm. what both of them explain is you're not you're not gaming the system here. You're not cheating. As long as that content is unique and different and relevant, then mm. it should absolutely be useful to you. Think of it like you what you would all you're doing is developing a local landing page for for people looking for Hereford builders. So if they're looking for Hereford builders, if you develop a page which is talking about the building services you can provide to Hereford companies, testimonials from Hereford companies, photos and videos from those same companies, and plus Q&A in there as well, which is quite useful. Um, I don't see any reason why that isn't legit. And so they've got a lot of good advice there. And and a lot of it is generally good for um, other pages as well. So definitely worth a read. Mm. Interesting. Before we go on, I'm going to another quick podvert here. Now, in the strictest sense, they didn't put the hashtag podvert in, but it is um, an organization we're working with. And as it's a workshop that um, I'm in, I thought I'd recommend it. So this is from at Fastershire. Um, I'm a Fastershire advisor, so I go out to businesses and help and support them with IT and um, marketing. It's completely free, actually, these advice sessions. So if you are interested, do do uh, come along to the workshop if you're in the area or find out if it's going to apply to you if you're in Hereford and Worcestershire. Um, sorry, not Hereford and Worcestershire. It's Herefordshire and Gloucestershire. Very important, that. So their tweet was a free blogging and social media content workshop with at Ben Kinnaird. That's me. And at Courtry SMS. That's Jack. He was actually on this podcast last year, I think. It's in Gloucester. It's on the 18th of August, which is next week. Um, And it's between 12 and 2. And you get lunch. It's very good. So I suggest you have a look at their website, which is fastershire.com slash event slash 47. But again, I'll put the link on our show notes. So yeah, definitely come along to that. And if you've listened to the podcast and you want to meet me, come along. Uh, It's completely free. So um, hopefully we won't get a rush of people there. (laughs) I don't think so. Um, with it. You have, might just sign a few autographs. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> so the final one, uh, the final link I found, and this this is pretty brilliant in, in, on a few different levels. It's called Answer the Public, and it's a really good resource for finding questions that people are asking online. So I think the company have made it are an advertising agency, but um, correct me if I'm wrong. But this particular resource allows you to search for a, a phrase like internet marketing and come up with the questions that people are searching for that include that phrase, internet marketing, which is really useful if you're writing blogs. So whether you're a copywriter yourself or you um, just do the marketing for a company, you can use this as a way of generating topics that would that um, reflect the questions that people are already asking Google for online and looking for results. So in doing this, you can create an article that is, um, how do I improve my internet marketing for local landing pages let's say you can then title your article like that write about it and then you've got a better chance of being found when people are looking for um, marketing local landing pages let's say okay i understand now yeah Yeah. um and it's presented in a really good way it's very visual it's got um a lovely spider diagram i guess it is with different aspects of it so you've got internet marketing in the middle then who what and why and then each of those has all the different things off it like why is local internet marketing so useful or what is in local internet marketing or that sort of thing so it's really really good very useful resource you can also get on their prepositions which are like statements you can use within your copy so um, it just means that you're helping to optimize for things that people are already searching for really useful resource what i particularly like about it though is just how it 
um, is presented visually. Um, if you go there, you've basically got this bald-headed man with a white beard who I actually, I actually don't think he's as old as he looks. He looks like an old sea dog. But if you watch the video at the bottom of the page, he sounds a bit younger than that. He's um, got an old sea dog's jumper on. Yeah, he has. Um, but it's great. It's just a video of him in the background just looking around and uh, waiting for you to type something in. It's quite good. So, yeah, it's a really good tool, actually. Um, I'll definitely give that a try. I think that's it. Do you have any comments on that, Al? No, but I'm going to have a go with it. I haven't seen this before, so I'm going to I'm gonna have a try. Yeah. This, I, I noticed this from a website I check um, every now and then. Well, I try and check it every week. It's called latest.is. And I'm not sure how it collates the data, but I think it looks at several people's Twitter accounts or a group of people's Twitter accounts and look at the links that bubble up to the top. And then it presents those as a top 10 list. Yeah. And I just go through that every now and then and pull out things that people on the internet seem to find interesting and then see if I, you know, it's going to be useful to me. So um, this one, this one's really good, actually. Very good tool. Yeah. Interesting. So we better finish there. Otherwise, uh, Donald's going to get frustrated with editing a very long podcast. Um, you can find us online. I'm at Ben Kinnaird on Twitter. Al is at Inventive Al on Twitter. Um, don't forget to go and search Be Social with Ben for our book, or you can go to our website, ratherinventive.com, and um, scroll down to the bottom, fill out your email, and you get a free copy sent to you. Um, right, that's it. Better go and uh, get on with some work, Al. Yes, I better have. <laughs> Thanks for the report. <laughs>